this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, we get to start a brand new sermon series this week. This one has been on my heart for a while, probably since the beginning of November. Uh, it was really when Acts 4, 29 through 30, I've been talking about this a lot lately, sort of jumped off the page to me and God impressed upon my heart to start claiming it over Freedom Valley, praying for boldness and signs and wonders among us. It, it became clear as I prayed over the next few weeks that we're heading toward a season this year, 2023, of unprecedented passion for the gospel. A return to a Acts-like church. So I'm super excited to share this one with you. We're going to be studying the book of Acts throughout this series. You know, our, our world today is hungry for the gospel. I know it doesn't always feel that way, right? It feels like they're less hungry for the gospel than ever. Um, it's, it's not the same as it was 50 years ago, perhaps, but they are hungry for the gospel. The world outside those doors sometimes has a, a distaste for church, for religion, and the things that Christians have done in the name of Jesus, and some of that is completely understandable. Now, as we head toward a more post-Christian culture, as Europe has been in for a while now, uh, we have some more hurdles to overcome when using the name of Jesus. People tend to have a, a wrong idea of who Jesus is, which is harder to overcome than just no idea of who Jesus is, which we see in Africa and when we're reaching unreached people groups, they have no context for Jesus. And so it's, it's, there's no hurdles to get over, if you know what I mean. Here we have some of those hurdles. The church hasn't always been the most righteous. It sometimes leans more toward self-righteous, right? It is capable of perpetuating greed or lust or pride sometimes better than perpetuating the ideals of Jesus Christ. It's capable of that because all humans are capable of that, and we're a room full of humans, right? But I read a statistic this week that says, and this is a recent statistic, three out of four of American adults say they want to grow spiritually. That's not American Christians. That's American adults. Three out of four say they want to grow spiritually, and nearly half of Americans say they are more open to God today than they were before the COVID-19 pandemic. Half. Half of Americans, nearly half of Americans say they are more open to God today than they were before COVID. So why aren't our churches overflowing? <laughs> right? Why aren't people flocking to the church in droves right now to get answers about growing spiritually? If they want to, why aren't they looking to us for the answers? I've heard some people say, well, you know, all the people I know go to church already. There aren't that many people around here that don't go to church. I looked up how many people live in Adams County this week. It's uh, the most recent census has 104,127 people living in Adams County. 104,127. Let's say that we follow the, the Pennsylvania, the state average, which says that 34% of Pennsylvanians go to church on a weekly basis. I would guess that's high. It feels high, but we'll go with that. So that's doing the math. Nobody checked my math because I'm pretty sure it's right, but 
uh, that would be 68,724 people who do not go to church on a weekly basis in this county alone if we follow those statistics, right? 68,000 people in Adams County that don't go to church. If all of them picked any church in this county and went to it all on the same Sunday, we would be overrun. I found 45 churches in Adams County. I have no idea if that's true or not, but I have a quick Google search. I found 45 churches in Adams County. If, say, all of those 68,000 people went to church on the same Sunday, we'd have 1,527 more people in every church. So here, 1,527 more people. Where would we put them all? We couldn't fit in this room, certainly, not comfortably. We have work to do, right? We have the gospel to preach, and we can't keep doing the same old things because the same old things may not work for a new generation. I believe the main thing that the American church is missing today is the fire, the passion of the Holy Spirit. We need to fall in love with the gospel like never before. Oh, Luke 3, 15 talks about, it's when it's the first time really that baptism in the Holy Spirit and fire is mentioned in history, not just in the Bible. It's John the Baptist preaching to his church, probably in the middle of the wilderness, and he's saying, uh, uh, he's look, He's pushing people toward looking for the Messiah, right? He's, he's actually kind of pushing them away from him and saying, I am not the Messiah. Stop looking at me, guys. There's another one coming. Or let me just read this to you. Verse 15. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon, and they were eager to know whether John might be the Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, I baptize, I baptize you with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. He's ready to separate the chaff from the wheat with his winnowing fork. Then he will clean up the threshing area, gathering the wheat into his barn, but burning the chaff with never-ending fire. John used many such warnings as he announced the good news to people. This fire concept tortured me a little bit this week. (laughs) I'm going to be honest. I've read that verse, heard that verse my whole life. I've seen the flame as a symbol of the Holy Spirit my whole life, and I thought I knew why, but I didn't want to take that knowledge for granted, and I went looking. I really wanted to know the reasoning behind John the Baptist saying this, baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Is it two separate baptisms? Is it just symbolizing the tongues of fire that came on the day of Pentecost? Is it sort of like baptism by fire, which is a little bit of a different concept, right? Persecution and suffering and you're baptized. So I went looking. Where else do we see fire in the Bible? And I found a bunch of uh, examples here. First, we see the flaming sword at the Garden of Eden. Right? Remember when Adam and Eve are, are kicked out and there's an angel there guarding the doors and he's got a flaming sword blocking the way back to the presence of God with fire. Okay, then next in the Bible we see it at the burning bush. God shows up in a burning bush and is speaking to Moses. Uh, all of these, by the way, the, the scriptures that go with them, if you want to study them, are, are in the sermon notes. There is then the presence of God in fire on Mount Sinai. 
as the, the people of Israel are looking up the mountain towards this presence of God, there is fire involved with that. Uh, Exodus 13, no, 24, 17 says, to the Israelites, the glory of the Lord looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. And we all also see it in a fiery pillar. Remember the Israelites wandering through the desert, they, they followed a pillar, and at night it looked like fire, found in Exodus as well. <clears throat> we also see fire showing up in Isaiah's vision. There's a, a burning coal that an angel takes to his lips, right? He touched his lips, and he says, See, this coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed, and your sins are forgiven. So there's fire associated with sins being forgiven. And then finally, the fiery tongues of Pentecost found in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Like all of these examples are pretty much literal fire. But are we to take the baptism of fire in this passage literally? Is Jesus baptizing us in literal fire? Has anyone been baptized in literal fire? No, certainly not. But in all of these cases, fire certainly seems to represent the presence of God. And as I continued to study them, I found more and more ideas that fire represents within these passages. And I'm praying all of them over our church this year. And weirdly, they all start with P. Didn't plan that. But from my note takers, they all start with P. Here are the four we're going to talk about today. Presence, purification, passion, and purpose. Presence, purification, passion, and purpose. The presence of the Holy Spirit is definitely represented as fire in the Bible. There's no question about that. And in its most literal sense, as the passage I just read on the day of Pentecost found in Acts 2, the believers are gathered together in prayer, and 40 days after the ascension of Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on them. And they could physically see what looked like tongues of fire on their heads. Representing the new wave of God dwelling among us, within us, baptizing us from the inside out. See, before this moment in history, God was always on the outside. Right? It was what you did on the outside that mattered. That's why Jesus seems to be all about, the Jews seem to be all about cleanliness in Jesus' time. All about what they do with their bodies, how clean they are. They're obsessed with it. It, it was about what they put into their bodies, too. How clean and holy they were from an outside perspective. That's why so much of Jesus' uh, teaching is trying to change their mindset from what they do to how they do it. And he's showing us there's a layer under everything that we do. It's more about the heart with which they do things. Is it to impress the people around them or to genuinely love people and serve God? And most of the time he's rebuking them because it's, it's about what's on the outside for them, not what's on the inside. The Holy Spirit dwelling within us changes everything. Changes everything. It changes the way we look at things. It changes our perspective. It changes our desires and our mindsets and the way we love people. It's the very presence of God, and, and it's when it goes from just head knowledge to heart knowledge. Having been baptized in the Holy Spirit, it, it's like 
your internal world being baptized. We just baptized 12 new believers last week, right? We got to see them baptized in water in Jesus' name as a public representation of an inward decision. They announced to the world that they were now following Jesus. But if you actually want to follow him into ministry, ministering to people, there is more steps after baptism, right? You have to actually sacrifice yourself. We're following Jesus to a cross, remember. He sacrificed himself for the sake of us. That's where we're following him. It's not going to be easy. It was never meant to be because we're following him to a cross. So if we're going to follow him even there, you need your internal world baptized. You'll need the helper, as the Holy Spirit is also described in the word. You need the helper, the very presence of God speaking on the inside. That's what the Holy Spirit does. I, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit since I was a kid. We actually have always, as a church, believed in kids being ministers. I can remember growing up in that environment and really believing that I could reach my school and that I, I, I could be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We even had a Holy Spirit club in the attic of our shed in the backyard. <laughs> and we would baptize other kids in the Holy Spirit. I kid you not. It, it was amazing. Uh, but I have, so I have grown up being baptized in the Holy Spirit. I, I've gotten answers to questions that I did not have. You know, I'm suddenly saying them out of my mouth when I did not think them before they came out. It's an amazing experience. I've gotten wisdom I did nothing to earn with the Holy Spirit living on the inside. I've gotten new spiritual gifts in the very moment that I needed them. My first time preaching, I was so nervous. Uh, I prepared for three months beforehand, literally on one sermon, which seems just crazy now. Uh, but I sometimes it feels like I did not have that ability before I stepped on this stage. I literally said, God, if you're not going, I am not going. I need you up there. <laughs> Your words, not mine. A supernatural abilities to lead far beyond my physical ability. And each of those moments has stretched me and changed me and pushed me for the better. It's like something wells up inside me and suddenly I know exactly how to answer a question or handle a problem. I can identify evil spirits when I'm looking at them in the face or feel a rush of energy I just didn't have a moment ago. The Holy Spirit gives us power for ministry. That's what he does. It rarely, I rarely feel that rush of his presence when I'm alone. Not, not just alone, like when I'm worshiping or something, I feel it, but um, when I need something from God just for me, it tends to come out when I'm ministering. Does that make sense? It's power for ministry. Like something wells up inside of you. The presence of the Holy Spirit is truly life-changing. The fire of the presence of Jesus himself is powerful. And think about just that metaphor for a moment, the fire. Right? Fire illuminates, right? It brings things to light. And there are times when it really does bring things to light. Sometimes um, I will see somebody holding back in conversation and I'll just immediately know why. That's like word of knowledge, word of wisdom, those spiritual gifts. 
well, you know, without being told or having any physical clue, I'll sort of understand what's going on with them, or I'll know exactly what kind of sin someone is struggling with, even though they won't say, or the Holy Spirit will, will whisper to sort of keep my distance for someone for a season, or uh, be extra present with someone for a season. I don't always know the details. In fact, I rarely ever I can probably say never know all the details, um, but I, I try to, to follow that prompting the best that I can because the Holy Spirit brings things to light. Fire illuminates way more than I can on my own, beyond my physical ability. But fire also warms. If you think through this metaphor, fire warms us. Right? It brings comfort and it shields us from the elements. The Holy Spirit has comforted my heart uh, more times than I could even begin to count. He has influenced my decisions and path more times than I care to think about. And it's, it's honestly scary to wonder about all the ways that he has protected me, shielded me. Sometimes I get the distinct feeling that I'm being supernaturally protected, like, like the Holy Spirit has my back to such a degree that if anyone comes after my family or me, watch out. I get the, that feeling, but I have no idea why. Fire warms, it protects, it shields. It also changes things. Changes pretty much everything it touches, doesn't it? it? It can change material from one form to another. Its very presence in a room can change everything. Aaron and I, a long time ago, worked for a clothing restoration company. Uh, Aaron's job was to go into houses that had been burned and take everything out that could be cleaned or restored in some way, like not the destroyed stuff, but the stuff that could be salvaged. He went in and he bagged it up and he brought it back to the warehouse and my job was to help clean those items. And for a while I sorted things, dry clean, went over here and wash and fold went over there and there was another category or two. And then the other people in the warehouse cleaned them. I also washed and fold for a, a little while, it was crazy. But it took an immense amount of time and energy and resources to turn all those things back to their original state. Uh, they were only touched by the smoke of a fire, not the fire itself. And yet they were very difficult to be new again. Uh, fire changes things. Even the smoke changes things. The Holy Spirit changes things very similarly. And just as fire changes everything it touches, so does the Holy Spirit. The flames on those early believers were just the start of something. They set the whole world on fire for 2,000 years afterward. It's a fire that's still burning today, right? We are the embers of that fire. Fire changes things. Fire also refines. It is capable of purifying. Right? Fire can purify gold or silver. It brings the impurities called the dross to the top. The book of Malachi actually makes this point directly. It's one of the other uh, fire examples I probably should have had on the list. It, it says that fire brings things to the top. Which brings me to the next P word, actually. Fire purifies, purification of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit shows us how we can be better, shows us how we can be more righteous, more holy, more like the Father, how we can have his heart for the people around us. The Holy Spirit reminds us who we are. That is the conviction. 
Uh, and it's more true to what conviction actually is. We often think of conviction as um, telling us where we're messing up. But honestly, that's a little bit more like guilt or like um, your internal, your conscience, right? Telling us where we've messed up, it's more like guilt. Holy Spirit conviction actually more accurately pulls us back to the Father. It shows us how we should be acting, but in such a way that we want to. That's how you know it's from the Holy Spirit. You're desperate to. I tell my but I love you story a lot, right? Where I was struggling with something that I should be doing and I wasn't doing and I was in worship and and God just whispered to my heart, but I love you. And in that moment, and I've never looked back from that moment, I started being obedient because I wanted to. It was never a struggle from that moment because God communicated his love for me. The Holy Spirit communicated his love. And even in my sin, he loved me. And yeah, never going back, right? I'm all in. That's conviction of the Holy Spirit. Guilt makes us want to run away and hide because we're all guilty and undeserving of the purity of the Father. It makes us want to run. Holy Spirit conviction pulls us toward him because he loves us anyway. When we truly understand that, and that's what the Holy Spirit whispers to our hearts, that's how he purifies us over time. It's a process called sanctification, if you want to use the big churchy word. Over time, the Holy Spirit brings up those issues and says, hey, let's clean this up. God loves you so much. He just wants good for you. And you clean up things like that. Over time, the Holy Spirit reminds us how much God loves us and how much he wants the best for us. He convicts, he heals, he delivers, he whispers to our hearts, pushes us out of our comfort zones and into our God-given purpose. And for that to happen, we often need to let a few things behind. When we're walking with the Holy Spirit, our dross, our impurities, often bubble to the top. You see this happening with the disciples as they walk with Jesus. If you've read through the Gospels lately, you know, you can see them sort of working through this process. They ask lots of questions and they get tough answers from Jesus. I mean, answers sometimes that I'm like, Jesus, man, that's harsh. (laughs) Wow. You know, answers that they don't always agree with and, and therefore must contend with either changing or walking away. They make declarations and they get rebuked. Jesus saying, get behind me, Satan pretty tough one, right? He, he rebukes them. They vie for power a lot. You see them saying, which one is greatest among us? And who gets to sit beside you in heaven, Jesus? You know, they vie for power and authority, and then they want favoritism, and they get knocked down a few pegs, usually. Uh, they sleep on the job, and they get disciplined a little, right? They lose their focus, and they get a lecture. You see Jesus sort of refining them as they walk through that discipleship process. I mean, you can literally see them just getting purified over and over throughout Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John by Jesus himself. That's what the Holy Spirit does. He walks with us. I often want to, as pastor, like um, systematize discipleship. Like I have a whole pathway, I call it the pathway, and I I want people to move from salvation to baptism to uh, start class to, you know, I build these systems so people can move through discipleship. 
And while all of that works, rarely does a person actually go through each step in order the way I planned it, right? They bounce around, they mess up, they do start class over again. They, it's, that's life. Jesus walks with us on uh, his schedule, on our, I mean, he, he meets us where we are, but it's not always systematic. We don't grow in quite the same journey as another believer sitting next to us in church, right? And as with the coal in the book of Isaiah, the fire of Jesus purifies us, makes us right with God. It justifies us with God. Jesus came to purify us before the Father, that our sins would be washed away, forgiven, and we could be with our Father again. When we truly understand that, how forgiven we are, how washed clean we are, how undeserving of it we are, we can have the third meaning, the third P here, and that is passion. Passion. The Holy Spirit brings passion to our lives. That's what Christians typically mean, I think, when we talk about the fire of the Holy Spirit, right? We say to be on fire for Jesus means that you're passionate, extremely passionate about him, and it's usually accompanied with uh, fervor for evangelism, Seeing your friends come to know Jesus, that is, is somebody who's on fire for Jesus, right? We do tend to, to think of evangelists as passionate people in that way, that their passion uh, it rubs off on us. That's what I always hope for when I, we bring an evangelist in. That's their gift, is to stir up other gifts in the body, stir up passion in the body. It's why we like to hear them speak and come to their services. You know, Johannes is coming next month. Have I said this enough yet? Very excited. He hasn't been with us in a while. Uh, And he's one of those that just stirs up my passion for the gospel. He always has. And that passion is contagious. We like to be around it because it makes us feel passionate too. And honestly, we need that. A coal taken out of the fire will lose its heat quickly, right? We're pretty good at passion as a church. Freedom Valley has, has always been a passionate church since I was a kid. We, we worship loud. We live authentically. We give selflessly. That's who we've always been. It's who we are today. I'm, I'm so proud to be a part of this church. To raise my children here is such a privilege. That's the church. That's what the church should feel like. That's a, what a healthy church should feel like. And we need that. We need to be around each other to stir up passion within us. Gathering together is a a very important part of living this Jesus-following life. The early disciples did. The early church did. It's an important part of walking with the Holy Spirit. But it's not the only part. To sustain the fire, we need passion in everyday life. Do you all remember the sermon series we did last year called... uh... (laughs) It just left. Not Not just Sunday? What was it? Not just another Sunday? Not just another Sunday? I don't think that was it. Maybe it was, and I'm just forgetting. But it was about the other six days of the week. It's not just on Sunday. We worship, right? We, we need the other six days of the week. So showing up at church isn't enough to sustain that fire throughout all the other days. We need passion in everyday life. Fasting and prayer should also be observed regularly. Prayer is what sustains the fire and makes it burn always. 
prayer, the oxygen that keeps the fire of God in our spirit burning, the unprecedented flames. It keeps our focus. It changes our mindsets and attitudes. Fasting changes our perceptions faster than anything. And I know a lot of believers who have never fasted food anyway, or a little scared to do it. And believe me, it's, I don't ever really look forward to it. I'm not like super excited about not eating for a couple days. It's no fun. But afterward, I'm always glad that I did it. And I can rarely point to an exact reason why, but things are different. My perception has changed. I can control, I, I can differentiate between who controls me. Is it my body that tells me what to do? My body that tells me I need more food, I need more things to feed it. Your body wants things all the time. It does not necessarily need that extra cookie at 9 p.m., for example. Just me? Okay. But I get, in, when it, with fasting, it's my spirit telling me what to do versus my body telling me what to do. That's the distinction that I most often make with fasting, but... Everyone is different, and God gives me new revelations with every single one. They're all uh, stirring up passion within me. We do need passion to get through the tough stuff. As I was researching fire in the Bible, a lot of scholars had this um, debate. Is it baptism in fire or baptism by fire, essentially, was the debate. Whether John meant that the early Christians were going to experience a lot of persecution or whether he just meant passion. I don't know exactly. <laughs> Obviously, I wasn't there. I didn't get to ask John the Baptist myself, but I do know that the early church did experience a bunch of persecution, and it only fueled their passion. Over and over in Acts, I see the apostles preaching the gospel, getting thrown in jail or beat up or something awful, getting released from jail by the skin of their teeth somehow miraculously, and then going right back to preaching. I don't know about you, but... If I'm thrown in jail and then released supernatural, like there's some kind of crazy loophole or an angel shows up and shakes the, like an earthquake happens, something crazy happens to get me out of jail, I'm probably not going right back to preaching the next day. I don't know about you, but that's just not, I, I can't imagine. So they often move to a different town, but they keep on preaching. It just seems to fuel their passion, the persecution, not squelch it. In fact, the Acts verse that I've been praying was a direct response to persecution. Listen again to this prayer. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. The main thing that's missing from this prayer, and you can go study it in Acts 4, they get persecuted, and the main thing that's missing is protect us. They don't actually pray that. I'm, I'm, I read it like four times. I'm amazed that they don't say, God, protect us from the persecution. Let them stop or, or rain down fire from heaven, smite them, right? Like none of that. It's hear their threats, not act on them. They're not acting, asking for any action. Hear their threats. And give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. 
that challenges me. <laughs> I'm praying for protection a lot. But I want people to stop saying mean things, please. And I don't like the mean things. I don't like the, the taunts or what uh, we have. We experience so little persecution in American culture compared to the rest of the world. But why pray that God would hear their threats? Why not pray for retribution? Why not pray that God would smite them? Why not? Just that God would hear them. I think it's because they knew and they trusted God to a degree that they knew that if God would hear their threats, he would know what to do. That that's not their responsibility. What's on them is to preach with boldness. What's on them is to ask for miracles and signs and wonders, that wonder would spread throughout the area, that people would be curious to come and hear their message. I feel the Holy Spirit all over this. It's not on them. It's not their responsibility to punish, to rain down fire on the world, to convict it. It's the Holy Spirit's job. It's God's job. He knows how to handle that. God, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness. It is such a bold prayer that I I just pray that someday I'm bold enough to be able to genuinely pray it. <laughs> right now, sometimes I feel like I'm praying it with like, it's like, God, give me boldness in preaching. I think. <laughs> I think I'm brave enough. I think I can handle it. I just don't feel worthy of that prayer. That such a Holy Spirit heart on that prayer. The Holy Spirit gives us the very presence of God. He gives us purification, sanctification. He convicts us. He fills us with passion. What is it all for? Why are we praying prayers like that? Is it just boldness to, to live out our daily lives, or is it boldness for preaching? Do we just want signs and wonders to be healed for ourselves, or do we want them for the world outside these walls? A true revival doesn't happen in church services. We call them revivals all the time, and then only Christians come. You're so frustrated with that. Revival is meant to happen outside the church. It's us taking Jesus outside the church. And that is the fourth P here, is purpose. All of this passion, all of this purification, it's for a reason. Jesus sent the Holy Spirit for a reason. And it's not necessarily for us, for the people who already know him. He sent it because he had a purpose for the early church. And he continues to send it for the same reason today. Acts 1.8. And nine, it says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Remember the context Jesus said this in? He's speaking to the disciples after they had just said, is now the time. Now the time that you're going to come back and you're going to set up your kingdom on earth and we get to be in charge and tell everybody how wrong they were. Is now the time you're going to prove us right, Jesus? And Jesus says, God knows those dates and times and they're not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. It's not power to pay back all the naysayers, to set up a kingdom, a government on earth. It's power to be witnesses, to go and tell people about what you have seen and heard. Tell people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, in the larger Judea, in Samaria, beyond that, and then to the ends of the earth. That's the job 
That's the purpose. Holy Spirit doesn't come for no purpose. I once uh, tried to counsel a, a couple through not receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They were struggling week after week. They were asking, God, baptize us in the Holy Spirit. Why isn't he? And they, they cornered me one day after a service up at the altar, and they said, why isn't the Holy Spirit baptizing us? What's going on? And I think they were struggling with faith through it. Like, is it even real? And I prayed about it a little bit, and I just felt the Holy Spirit whisper to my heart, why do they want it? Why do you want it? And I asked them, why do you want the baptism? Why are you pursuing this? And they were like, I don't know. It seems like the thing to do, right? It's like the next step. You preach about it all the time. We should do it. Okay. (laughs) Yes, but why? Holy Spirit just kept asking why, and they didn't have a, a ministry purpose for it. There was no one else's life that was going to be changed through them getting baptized in the Holy Spirit. I think that's why. The Holy Spirit comes for a purpose, and it's to be witnesses. Your life has already been changed. Your soul has been bought and paid for when you claim the name of Jesus. You're going to heaven. That's done. It's a done deal when you claim the name of Jesus in your own life. The Holy Spirit comes so that you can tell others about Jesus. It's power to be witnesses. The uh, anointing of Holy Spirit fire can manifest anytime there is ministry work to be done. The Holy Spirit was given so that we this. The power we receive from him isn't for selfish purposes. It's not to build your platform and power. It's to build his. It's an anointing of service an endowment for ministry. And not not this. I'm not talking you need a pulpit and a microphone. I'm talking about using your spiritual gifts in your life outside these walls and within it. Don't get me wrong. We, we serve each other, right? We encourage each other. We stir a passion within each other. And we use our spiritual gifts in the church. But it's also for out there. He gives us spiritual gifts to teach and to serve and to help and to be hospitable to prophesy, to preach, to encourage. It's all for other people, not for me. The Holy Ghost fire is a a friendly, passionate fire that ignites and harnesses our hidden potentials and treasures and talents. That's my prayer for Freedom Valley right now, that we would be set on fire for Jesus, using our gifts and talents outside these walls. That, that I think I prayed this last week, that instead of us coming into the church to receive a miracle, that we'd be doing miracles outside the walls and we come into the church to tell each other about them, to encourage each other with them. Peter, for example, in the word, Peter denies Jesus three times. You remember the story? At crucifixion. I mean, when Jesus needed him most, he denies him. And this was the guy who boldly declared he would die for Jesus, right? That's why Jesus actually says, get behind me, Satan. Because Peter's like, you can't go back to Jerusalem. They're going to kill you. I would never let that happen. I mean, he has this whole big speech. And Jesus is like, get behind me, Satan. I'm headed toward Jerusalem for a bigger purpose than you could possibly understand. He doesn't say all that, though. He just says, get behind me, Satan. But here's Peter. He talks a big game, but he doesn't walk it. He says he would 
<clears throat> be all there for Jesus, that he's, he's sold out, he's on fire for Jesus, but in the moment when Jesus needs him, he denies him three times. I mean, when, when it, the danger is at its peak, he's got all talk and no walk. Big declarations and no follow through. But that's all before the Holy Spirit. Jesus finds him in one of my favorite passages in the Bible. He finds him on a beach. He cooks him breakfast. He calls him back into ministry saying, go feed my lambs, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And then he says, wait for the Holy, stay in Jerusalem until the helper comes. After Peter, uh, the, the day of Pentecost, I mean, immediately after <laughs> After Peter's baptized in the Holy Spirit, he is out on the streets preaching Jesus with a fire that he has never had before and a boldness he certainly never had before because it's the same environment. Just, I mean, the, the time between the ascension when Jesus goes back to heaven and the day of Pentecost is only 40 days. And it's 40 days before that that the crucifixion happened. So it's not that much time has passed. The heat is still turned up on the followers of Jesus. They're, they're kind of hiding, waiting, gathering, trying to encourage each other. But I just, sometimes I imagine how hard that time period would have been to live through. The, the presence of Jesus, his physical presence was there with you for three years. He walked beside him and now he's just gone. And he told you to wait and it's, stretching on. Anyway, after the day of Pentecost, Peter is preaching on the streets and he literally calls out the Jewish people for putting the Messiah up on that cross. He doesn't mince words. He's not afraid anymore. Out on the streets with a power and a passion and a fire. He had purpose and passion in that moment. And he was being purified by the very presence of Jesus himself. And we can clearly see the early church in the book of Acts, going through this process as a group as well. It's not just Peter, it's all of them. They're walking through this process, and that's what we're asking God for in this series. How to live that on fire for Jesus life. How to, to be like the early church in the book of Acts. How to live out our faith more passionately than ever, because that's what this culture needs. Now, they need to see something real. They don't need more people walking around with just religion, shaming people into being obedient just because. Because that's what religion does. They need passion. They need to see us real and authentic and uh, something all-encompassing that's actually changing our lives for the better. They need something honest and self-sacrificing. Too many Christians are willing to sacrifice everything but self for their religion. That's not Jesus. It's not the heart of Jesus. It's not why the Holy Spirit came. Today, we're going to pray bold prayers. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit for His fire. Because the Helper is a gift. The Holy Spirit is a gift in our lives. It's a gift from the Father that we get to walk around with His Spirit and passion within us. And we don't have to do it alone. It's a beautiful gift from heaven. All we have to do today is receive it. Throughout this series, it's my prayer that you would receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. If you haven't already, and if you have, that you'd receive a renewed sense of passion and purpose to be able to go into this year with 
Holy Spirit fire, because we've got work to do, church. You ready to do that? Can we pray together? Let me do this. If you are actively asking for the baptism in the Holy Spirit, would you just stand as we pray? And and I'm just going to ask that the Holy Spirit would fall on you specifically after service. Then we're going to have the prayer team up here. We're going to, we can pray those individual prayers over you. But right now I'm just going to ask that as a group, the Holy Spirit would fall. And if you're looking for the baptism of the Holy Spirit actively right now, go ahead and stand. Father, thank you for each and every person in this room. Thank you for the believers. Thank you for the body of Christ. Thank you that we get to gather. We live in a country that is free to do so. We, we have the privilege of gathering and encouraging each other and loving each other and being sent out. God, now we ask for a renewed sense of passion and purpose in this body of Christ. We would just fall on your people. Give us gifts and talents we didn't know we had. Give us a power to preach in our workplaces, in our schools, in our world, a power to pray over the sick and see them healed, to look at evil in its face and deliver it, cast it out. God, give us the Holy Spirit within us. And for each person bold enough to stand up in a room full of people and say, I want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I just pray that you would fall on them today, this week. That the, the baptism in the Holy Spirit would just fall on their lives. Give them power for ministry. Give them the ability to, to pray in tongues, to pray over the sick and, and heal and deliver and go into their world with a new sense of passion. We ask you for that in Jesus' name. We thank you and we praise you. God, continue to purify our hearts continue to bring healing to each and every one of us that we can move forward from a place of health we can minister to our world from a a place of being able to witness right that we would have testimonies to share that God has delivered us he's healed us he's walked us through so many things he's given us comfort when we needed it we'd be able to witness those things be a witness to those things tell the people in our world, specific stories of how God delivered us and healed us. Give us that power and passion to be your witnesses. In Jesus' name, you guys can go ahead and sit down. And I just want to offer one other response to this message. If you would like to receive Jesus, maybe you've never heard this this gospel message you've never really committed to following him around here we call it saying i'm in i'm into following jesus i'm into this life it is a whole different way of living following jesus but while it's not always easier it's always better god wants to be with you wants to walk with you. That's why he sent Jesus. It's not just about attending church or singing songs with a group of people or, you know, going through the motions. It's about a heart change. Jesus wants that for you. He wants you to experience the heart of the Father, that love and acceptance, the forgiveness of, of everything, forgiveness of sin. Some, sometimes people come into church thinking that the they're going to light on fire as they walk through the door. Like, I'm not worthy to be even in church. 
But let me encourage you today. Jesus knows what you've done. He already put himself on that cross. It was 2,000 years ago he made that decision and he had you in mind when he did it. He knows what you've done and he loves and forgives you anyway. Just receive it today. That's the title of the message. It's the theme of this week is just receive the gift God has for you. Jesus himself is a gift. He wants you to experience freedom, peace, hope for the future. And if that's you and you're saying, I'm in, maybe for the first time, or maybe it's been a long time, but I'm in, I want Jesus. Would you just raise your hand where you are if you're sitting in this room? I'm in. I'd like to pray for you. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. I'd love to help you through that decision as well. Anyone here in the room, just raise your hand up high. I'm in. Awesome. Thank you. Just keep that hand up for a moment. The ushers have a little card for you down here in the front, guys. Father, I thank you praise you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you that you are renewing a sense of passion within us. Do that throughout this series, God. I'm just boldly asking for passion, boldness preaching for those signs and wonders as talked about in Acts 4. I boldly pray that I would have the faith, that we would have the faith to trust you to handle all the things that aren't our business and to light that fire within us. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church slash I am in. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links. 